So I've got, a, got something I want to share with you today, and we were going to get started on it last week and just really felt like the Lord gave, well, I know, the Lord gave us a different direction. And we're starting a series uh, entitled open, An Open Invitation. And I know it's Palm Sunday, even though we had snow this morning. I know it's Palm Sunday, but I really felt that I was supposed to continue in this series uh, that we had already started, that things just kind of got shifted around a little bit last week. And I'm going to make this statement to start things off with and kind of use it as uh, the launching point for the message. And it would be this, that God is even better than I think he is. God's better than I think he is. And I, I think that I've grown in my walk with him to recognize his goodness but he's even, he's even more good than I've realized that he is, more good than I've been able to comprehend. And I think about a lot of the verses where Jesus says that he was a good shepherd. You know, the difference between a shepherd and a good shepherd is a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that, that the shepherd actually says the sheep are even more valuable than I am, and he lays himself down for them. You might recall that we serve a good, good father, and we really are loved by him. And when people approach Jesus and they say, good teacher. And he said, no one's good except God alone. Oh, no one's good except the Father. And really, he was also inferring to them that when you're saying that, you need to recognize who you're saying it to because I and the Father are one. But he, he recognized that for something to be considered good, it's perfect, it's beautiful, it's God. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. How do you know that a good God gives good gifts? He gives good gifts. There's even inference of this in the Old Testament. Um, when you see that uh, maybe a message needed to be delivered to the king, let's just say that Israel had won a battle with the Philistines, and they wanted to get message to King David, and you weren't able to just grab your mobile device and text back then. It didn't just work. Hey, by the way, things went well, and send a few emojis with a thumbs up. Okay, it didn't work that way. So you would grab a good person. You would say, you're a good man and you're from a good family. Take this message to King David because a good man delivers a good message. And so that messenger would go to give a really good message and to share it with the king, all right? Now, why would they use a good man to send a good message? Because the credibility of the messenger really matters. How do you, you know that somebody, that, that they're so not credible in your life that even when they speak the truth, you have a hard time believing it, okay? Because they're just not a good messenger. The message might be accurate, but you're like, it came from you. And so in Israel, they would use a good messenger to go and to give good news if the battle didn't go well. They might use some, that little weasel at the end of the camp that nobody really likes spending time with. Hey, one that we've all shunned, go tell King David things didn't go well. He's like, I don't want to go. Well, you go. Take the message. He walks up. Who are you? Who's your family? And there's an immediate hint. Ugh, I'm getting ready to get bad news. Jesus came. He was good news. He brought good news, completely credible, completely believable, always did everything that he said he would do. Now, with that said, I come back to the statement, God is good even more than I've been able to comprehend. He's gooder than I've been able to wrap my mind around. And it's from that perspective that I want to share with you today. And if I, I did say good, gooder intentionally, in case you're wondering, all right? That was an intentional one. Okay, Kristen? I, I know what I was doing there. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not conform 
And some translations say any longer. But do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a classification of the three wills of God because I think that is just completely butchering what the text is trying to talk to us about. But I want to go to the top of this. First of all, it's out of Romans. We know that he wasn't writing all of Rome. He was writing the Christians within Rome. So you're talking about a church that gathered together. So contextually speaking, Paul is writing Christ followers that live in Rome. Now, to be a Christ follower, they've already had an encounter with him. They've accepted him as their king, accepted him as their savior. So we're talking about people that could look back at the day that they accepted Christ. How many look back at the day that you responded to Jesus? Okay, so they've already accepted Jesus, and yet he says to them, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So that immediately tells me it is quite possible for Christians to walk in the pattern of the world rather than to walk in the pattern of heaven. We can do it. We can accept Christ and know Christ and still conform to the pattern of the world. And it also tells me that there's a way that we can get out of that pattern, and that is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if you look up the Greek word transformed here, it's metamorpho. It's a great word, metamorpho. You know what word we get out of that, right? Metamorphosis, a complete transformation. Metamorpho is only used a few times in the New Testament. One of them here, one of them when Jesus was transformed. Remember that when he and a few of the disciples were up on the mountain and he was transformed into the glory that he had always had with God? The Greek word says that he was metamorphosed before them. He was tra- they were able to see him in his glory and in his splendor. So this is a really big word. It's a big word for Paul to use. That just like Jesus was transfigured, was transformed, had metamorphosis right in front of his disciples, that they could see him in his glory we as Christ followers can be completely transformed as, number one, we don't conform to the world, and number two, we have a transformation by the renewing of our mind. How many accepted Jesus, but it didn't mean your thinking was right right away? And it takes time. And you partner with the Word of God, you partner with the Spirit of God, you partner with people of God that can help, and God works on our thinking so that we see things from heaven's perspective rather than an earthly perspective. We live in a world that attributes everything bad to God and everything good to the ability of man. Anything good we've been able to figure out for ourselves. I don't know if it's still listed this way in insurance policies, but they used to refer to the tornadoes and those things that happen that are horrible as acts of God. Really shows you the culture, doesn't it? Yeah, God sends the tornado. God sends the hurricane. Actually, George Bush sends hurricanes. I don't know how you know that. No, no okay, that's, you got to go way back to remember that one, all right? So they don't come from the presidential office, nor do they come from the supreme throne of heaven. God's not sending the destruction. God sends the solution. He sends the answer and he sends it through you and me. So one of the things that I recognize is that the transformation that needs to take place in my life is partly my responsibility. 
The day I accepted Jesus, I, old things passed away. I became a new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus. But now I've got to line my mind up with what he's done. He's already brought me from darkness to light, from defeat to victory. I need to line my mind up with that. I used to be alienated from God, and I actually thought that God was opposed to me, and now I recognize that he was my bridge builder and he rescued me, and I want my mind to line up with that. To be, and then I learn, only then will I be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, his perfect will. Pastor Brad, how do I know the will of God? We cease to conform to the way of the world. We allow our mind to be transformed by renewal as we partner with what God gives us for the renewal of our mind. Then we begin to understand the will of God. There are people that they've asked Jesus into their life, but they've not partnered with his word or his spirit or with godly mentors and accountability so that they can even walk out the will of God. You guys have seen it. You know people that they love Jesus, but you're like, how do they constantly make the wrong decision? There's a confirmation to the word and a refusal to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So here's the thought. God's will is revealed through the renewing of the mind. So one of the things that I'm praying, God, help my mind to be renewed, not just today, but every day. If this is something that needs to happen, it tells me my salvation was enough to transform me But renewal is something that needs to happen daily so that that transformation can happen and continue to happen. Let me just throw out a simple question. How many understand some things in God's word today better than you did three years ago? Or how many of you, there's some things that now that you're like, oh, I get it, right? Doesn't that also confirm that there was a a span of time that you didn't get it? Doesn't it also prophesy that there are things that you still don't get? And I think the more that we gain understanding and revelation from the, more, the Lord, really the more merciful and the more patient that we should be because you start realizing, my goodness, I've walked with the Lord for 20 years or 30 years or 10 years, and I'm just seeing that. What is yet to be revealed? What is yet to be understood, right? Next thought is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. It says that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, On the contrary, they have divine power, which tells me that the weapons of the world don't. And they demolish strongholds. And then he says, we demolish arguments and pretension, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge or the gnosis of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but just give you a little bit of background. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church, There was a gentleman that was in that church that was living in an immoral life that was so well known that we actually discover in the scriptures that the gentleman was sleeping with his stepmother. And this is before Jerry Springer and Maury Povich and all those guys were making money on it. So you've got a gentleman in the church that is in an ungodly, immoral relationship with his stepmother. Anybody else want to gag? Okay, this is horrible stuff. That's what's going on. Paul wrote the church and he said, hey, you need to deal with this. You know this guy is in the church. He claims to be a believer. You're not helping him at all because this is actually separating him from me and yet you're including him like it's no big deal. 
And not only is it hurting him, it's going to hurt you because if you allow this kind of compromise to take place and you don't deal with it, how much more is going to begin to pop up within the lives of other believers? So here's what you need to do. You need to go ahead and excommunicate him from the church. He says, let Satan have his way with him, which is really harsh. But basically he's saying, let him suffer the consequences of these choices because when he loses everything, he's going to look up and go, oh God, I need help. What was I thinking? This is horrible. Now, that is biblical discipline. It's not biblical punishment. It's biblical discipline. It's challenging. It's challenging to have biblical discipline in the world today. I mean, we meet in O'Fallon, Missouri. How many churches are in O'Fallon, Missouri? How many churches are in St. Charles County? And let's say that we had something like that going on and we actually care about that person. And we say, listen, this is destroying your life. It's destroying your witness. It's going to destroy other members of this church. And you need to deal with this. And until you're willing to deal with this, the door's closed to you. All they would have to do is look at us and say, well, then I'll go here. I'll go there. I mean, open the yellow pages. Do we still have yellow pages? Google it. There are many options. Somebody can say, forget you. Who cares? I'll just go someplace else. I'll find a bigger church. They won't even know what's going on anyway. I can hide. I can hide and abide. Ooh, there's a sermon. I'll hide and abide, right? Now, at Corinth, that wasn't the case. You know how many churches that they had in Corinth at the time? <laughs> they had one. A small group that accepted Christ that was starting to reach out to their city. They had one. So when this, en- this individual was removed from the fellowship... They felt it, and he felt it. And eventually, in the second letter Paul writes, it's obvious that this guy had repented. He did what it was supposed to do. He went, what was I thinking? And he broke from that relationship, and he repented, and he came back to his church, and he said, I need to repent. I need to be restored. And you know what they said, God's people? They said, we don't want your kind here, pervert. Now, I don't know if that's a quote, but they weren't welcoming him back because now his sin was greater than their sin and his struggle was greater than their struggle. Well, Pastor Brad, why would the Lord even have him move that that gentleman out of the fellowship anyway? That sin was so public and so well known, it was going to have major public impact. So it was dealt with in a public manner. And Paul writes the church, and he's like, if he has repented, you need to welcome him back. One of the challenges that we have in the world today is we want to offer restoration to everyone without repentance. We just, be restored, be restored, but we don't want people to repent. And actually, Jesus, everywhere he went, said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to turn this way. And we want to offer restoration without the turn. But the reality is, if we don't turn, we're still going the wrong direction right? Repentance means to go the right direction. So this gentleman had turned and said, I'm sorry, I need to come home. And Paul addressed it. He said, don't you realize if you don't welcome him back, you're actually giving into the enemy's plan. And his plan is to not only destroy him, but to destroy all of you. The weapons that we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. What was Paul saying? He's saying the church's inability, listen to this now, inability to receive a repentant person in is part of the strategy of the enemy to bring destruction upon God's house. 
This man has repented and you're still not welcoming him in. You need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You need to recognize that your thought of judgment, your thought of alienation is not of God. You need to be welcoming and receptive of this person and restore them. This is challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing more beautiful to testify to the goodness of God than to see a life that was so messed up and in such bondage, and we all know it, and then to see that life transformed by the power of Jesus and to welcome that brother or that sister and say, we've got to go forward in the kingdom of heaven together. Let's do this together. That is a beautiful witness to the world. I mean, without having everybody share their testimony because we don't have time for all of us to do it, how many of you, your life is quite a testimony to those that you grew up with? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So here's the thought. God's ready to forgive those who are willing to repent, and so should we. So I've tried to lay a foundation. I'm actually going to be able to get three points done today, if, if, and I know that's hard to believe, but it will happen. We need to partner that God is good, even more, gooder than, even more good than I've realized. That time I didn't mean to do it. We need to recognize that we know the will of God by the renewal of our mind, the transformation of our mind. And we need to also recognize that we're called to be active in taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. It is not wrong to have thoughts that aren't of God come into your mind. We all have it happen. Okay, even Pastor Beth. We all have it happen, but we're all called to take them captive. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't even be told to take them captive if they didn't come in. And I'll guarantee you, some of you might be in spiritual battle right now, but it's not because Satan physically walked into your front door and said, I'm here, let's, it's go time. Okay? He walked into your door when he dropped thoughts into your mind that weren't of God that you began to dwell on. That's how he incites us. It's through our thought life. Have we all started to recognize that the battle's right up here? It's in our thought life where he hits us. So we want to take captive of that. And if we can do that, we can enter into these invitations. Here's the first one I'm going to talk about today. We've been given a humble invitation. I'm not saying that our invitation is humble, but it's through humility that we have this opportunity. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. God's word says to God's people, so once again, I guess it's quite possible for us to be prideful if he's telling us that we need to humble ourselves. And it, it may be even biblically more appropriate, it, we might even say that God's people at that moment were already prideful, which is why they were told to humble themselves at all. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So this is a beautiful promise. That if we're willing to humble ourselves before the Lord, he is willing to receive our cares and our anxiety. And if he's willing to re receive that, how much more is he willing to receive us? And scripture says that he'll lift us up at due time. Now in the original Greek, it's not just due time, it's at the right time. How many you know that my time and God's time aren't always the same thing? But if I'll humble myself before him, he will lift me up at the right time. 
Think about Mary and Martha. They sent word to Jesus at what they felt was the right time. Hey, would you get word to Christ? We know that he's staying just not too far from here with some friends and let him know that his buddy Lazarus that he cares about, that he's sick and we're worried that he's dying. After receiving that message, Jesus stayed where he was for a couple of more days. Jesus arrives in Bethany. Martha and Mary run out to meet him. And I believe it was Martha that says to him, Lord, if you would have been here sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. What's she saying? You didn't get here in time. Now, she's not condemning him, but she's just making the statement. If you would have, we know if you'd, have, if you'd have been able to be here earlier, Jesus, it would have happened. I felt this pressure a few times. Pastor Brad, if you would have got over there to pray, everything would have been okay. Like, whoo, don't put that kind of trouble on me. You've got the same anointing I've got. You've got the same authority in the Lord that I have. You can release the same amount of faith, and probably we all battle the same doubts. So just release it, right? So she, if you'd have been here sooner. But we know what happened. Jesus, hey, where do you have him? Steps forward. Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man rises. See, they thought that he needed to be there at the right time, but Jesus said, I'm here right now, and anytime Jesus is here is the right time. And it doesn't matter if death has already happened, resurrection can take place. Humble yourselves, therefore, into God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up at the right time. Cast your anxiety on him. I looked this up in the original Greek. I, I kind of assumed it would be like casting a net, but it was really a word for throwing something that you didn't want any longer. I don't know if you've ever been stressed out. Is there anybody, any humans in this room that's ever been stressed out? Four of us. Thank God bless you. Maybe you could, the rest of us could give you the secret to life. But uh, I mean, come on. Confession's good for the soul. Have you ever thrown something down when you were frustrated? Yeah. yeah. Bob says he likes throwing things and Kristen moved over a seat. But um, I, we, I, a lot of hands went up. Doesn't mean you're out of control. All right. But if you ever, you're like, ah! if you've ever been there, okay. That's really what that's referring to. I don't know how you write it in the Greek. But that, I just, have you ever said I can't take it anymore? Okay, all right. You, you don't have to. Because you can throw it toward him. And it's not just, I can't take it anymore, spike it in the living room. It's, Jesus, take it! And you know what? He's not stressed out by that. And it doesn't bother him. Because even though he knows you're a person of faith, power, victory, and anointing, he knows you're a human, and you get stressed, and you wrestle with flesh and blood, and you struggle, and not everything happens the way that you thought it was going to, and he gets it. So if you're like, God, just take it, honestly, he's not going to say, well, I knew you couldn't carry that cross. I thought you were past this by now. No, he's like, I've been waiting for you to throw it to me. Honestly, it takes humility to throw stuff to him that you acknowledge that you can't carry. It really does. It's pride that holds on to it. Here's a thought. If you've realized you just can't take it anymore, God's ready to take it from you, and he's ready to take it for you. So go ahead and give it to him. And don't just give it to him. Throw it to him. He wants you to. Second thought is a confident invitation. Not only if we come before him humbly, will he lift us up at the right time and will he take that anxiousness and that struggle but we can come to him confidently not arrogantly that's completely different look in hebrews 4 14 to 16 it says this therefore 
Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, what a statement. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with what? What do we approach the throne of grace with? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I have threatened for years that one of these days I'm going to preach through Hebrews. And the reason I haven't done it is because I know if I start it, we could be there until I'm 70. That's why I haven't started it yet. But it is a, it is a book of better. If you look in Hebrews chapter 1, the author talks about the glory of the angels, but he's like, but Jesus is better. And then he talks about how amazing Moses was as a leader, but Jesus was better. And then he said, Joshua led the people into rest, but Jesus is going to lead us into a better rest. And there is a rest, and that rest was good, but there's a rest that will never end. And there were high priests, but Jesus is a better high priest. Every time you turn around, Jesus is better. That's what the there's there for, okay? Because he's just said, we have a Sabbath rest that goes beyond one day a week. How many of you want three Sabbaths a week? Sophie said to me the other day, Dad, we need eight days a week, four of them for rest, four of them for school. And I'm like, here, here, I'm with you, let's do it. All in favor? Aye. Opposed by the same sign? So moved. All right, we've done it. Eight days a week, number of new beginnings. So they're talking about a Sabbath day's rest, and rest is needed Rest is good for the soul. It's good for the body. But if the Sabbath rest is all that the author was talking about or Jesus was talking about, he wouldn't continue to talk about another rest because how many know there's a rest that will never come to an end? It's a promise. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, I mean, the high, the high priest on earth might enforce that we have our Sabbath rest, but we have a great high priest that's promised an eternal rest. I want you to think about the priesthood for a moment. To be a high priest, you weren't allowed to step into that position until you were 30 years of age, according to the Torah. Did you know that? 30 years of age to be the high priest. And you were baptized publicly so that everybody would know that you were the high priest. By the way, if you've ever wondered why Jesus was baptized by John at the age of 30, it's not because he had sinned, but it's because at the age of 30, Jesus stepped into his high priesthood. And to be the high priest, you had to be baptized by the high priest, and John the Baptist actually had that in his lineage. So even though they were off target at the time, the high priest, John, baptized Jesus into his priesthood. So a priest started at the age of 30, so did Jesus. Problem was, a priest could only serve for his lifetime. But because we serve a high priest that that lives forever, he serves for an eternity. Earthly priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, but our heavenly priest never sinned. So he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself. Earthly priest spoke from a limited understanding for God. Our high priest speaks with full authority because he is God. I mean, come on, church. Why can you go before his throne of grace with confidence? Because he is forever. He is eternal. He has never failed. He will never fail. And I can go before him confidently and receive grace and mercy in my time of need. Come on, somebody could give me an amen right now. Here's the thought. You will receive mercy and grace because you're confident that he is gracious and merciful. I mean, your life testifies to the mercy of God, doesn't it? A humble invitation, a confident invitation. Last point is this. 
an immeasurably more invitation. If you read the King James growing up, an exceeding abundant invitation. It's out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul makes this statement. It's a beautiful statement. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So it's not just about later, it's about now. He can do more than we can think of because his power is in us now. To him be the glory, the doxa, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll give you a little bit of background on Ephesians. Not a lot, but a little. Some of the things that Paul dealt with was that the gospel wasn't just for the Gentiles to replace the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles to receive what the Jews had been offered so that as one, Jew and Gentile, they could worship the Lord together. And if you recognize that there are, hey, he goes to a Messianic Jewish congregation, and it's still something that we battle is a division that God doesn't want us to have. He wants everybody that loves him to come together, whether you're Jew or Gentile. I mean, honestly, folks, Sunday mornings, Saturday night services, still some of the most divided days in our country and in our world. And it's not just through the different ethnoses of the Gentile congregations, but it's just the fact that the Gentiles are separated from the Jews. So Paul was telling the Ephesian church, you need to recognize God did something amazing. He brought the Jews and Gentiles together before Jesus. That's pretty cool. And that's in the original Greek, pretty cool. I don't know if you knew that. Not only that, but he said, he's also put his Holy Spirit in you. That was revelatory to them. I mean, you guys hear that all the time, but they didn't. So Jews and Gentiles have been brought as one before the Lord, and we each have the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So he's not just outside of me, he's inside of me. He's not far away, he's near. As a matter of fact, God's word says that he groans with words that cannot be expressed. He'll pray through me because he lives in me. That's pretty revelatory. Jews and Gentiles come together. The Holy Spirit lives in God's people. This is amazing stuff. And the church in Ephesus is reading this and they're going, yeah. And then Paul says, and he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What do you mean? We would have never thought that God would have taken residence in our lives. We would have always assumed that he would sit on a throne and be separate from us. But he actually moved in to you and he moved in to me. That's kind of beyond our comprehension. He, but he's already done that. And if he's done that, are you ready for this? What else is possible? If it's possible for God to live in you, what else can happen? This can be amazing. According to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory forever and ever. I mean, what could take place because of this? If he lives in us, and that was hard for us to comprehend, what could happen because he does? So here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going to wrap it up for today. You're not believing him for enough. I love you but you're not believing him for enough. Well, Pastor Brad, you don't know what I'm believing him for. I know, but it's not enough. 
because he can always go exceeding abundant above what you can ask or imagine. He, he can. And if you can imagine it, and if you can think of it, then it can go beyond what you've been able to think of. We've got to believe him for more. All we have to do is come humbly before him, come confidently before him, and acknowledge that he can do more than we can acknowledge. He's stronger. He's greater. He's more powerful. He's more amazing. He's more beautiful. We need more Jesus. Open our eyes to more. Let's start wrapping this thing up. I'll tell you a little story. A few years ago, no names to be named. A few years, Bob and Kristen Skibo. A few years ago, I won't name any, it wasn't, I'm just playing. Beth and I had a family that came to us and they said, hey, we have a timeshare on Hawaii. And I went, well, la-di-da, right? And that way you, no, I didn't do that at all. They said, we have a timeshare on Hawaii. And we just felt like we were supposed to let you know, if you ever want to use it, you can use it. I mean, how do you know that's a pretty cool offer? That's a pretty cool gift. And, I, and I'm like, you have one in Hawaii? And they're like, Hawaii, Oklahoma, just south of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where the Red River is. So I, I'm wondering what the catch is, you know? Do we have to go to a presentation? Is it, we're talking the islands of Hawaii, right? No, I, I know the family. We talked about messengers and messages. They're people that love Jesus. They're like, we just really felt like we were supposed to let you know. If you ever want to use it, you can use it. So Beth and I, I can't remember how long ago this has been. It's been a few years ago. And she's like, that's really cool. And anybody else, can you be a negative Nelly from time to time? Is, or am I the only one? We come back, she's like, that's really cool. And I'm like, like we could ever afford to fly to Hawaii. <laughs> Have you ever cursed a blessing before you even started to step into it? Like we could ever afford to go there. I was the kid that grew up going to Jack's Fork River in southern Missouri. Anybody else? Alley Springs, Eminence, you know that area? That's, that's where we went. And uh, my mom and dad had a Pinto. How many of you remember a Pinto? Just a little bit bigger than the bean, the actual bean. Um, four wheels. And this is back in the day where like uh, seat belts were optional. And my dad, we would get ready to go on vacation and he would take the back seat out of the Pinto. He'd take it out and he'd put in the coolers and he'd put in the tents and the steaks and all this stuff. And my brothers and I would lay on the supplies as we did the three-and-a-half-hour drive down to go camping. And you would look out the back window, and you'd wave at people as you were driving. And how many of you remember those days, right? Remember the days of the station wagon where they had way too many kids in the back, right? right? How many survived? That's right. And if they didn't make it, it's just God's way of dealing with the weak ones as far as I'm concerned, right? So, so I grew up, camping was going to Eminence, Missouri. In Shannon County, how many of you have ever been to Shannon County? There's a little sign in front of the courthouse, spend a day or a lifetime in Shannon County. What they didn't realize is that when you go there, spending a day feels like a lifetime when you go to Shannon County, right? So that's, that's my paradigm. Are you, are you kind of following me? That's my paradigm. Vacation, you take the, the back seat out of the car, you put in the tent, you squeeze everybody in, and you go live as cheap as possible, and you swim in the river as much as you possibly can. There's river people, God save the queen. There's lake people, there's great lake people, then there's ocean people, then there's Hawaii people, right? That just live in paradise and don't even care if they go to heaven. I mean, how does that even work? So, hey, you, go, you can go to Hawaii, you can start timeshare anytime. And I'm like, like, that'll ever happen. Just this negative attitude, negative attitude. Well, something happened this year. We had some flight money that we needed to use. 
and we needed to use it immediately. And Beth says to me, you need to call the, fi- the family that offered the timeshare to us because there is flight money that we've already had that it's there and we need to use it. You need to call them and ask if we can use it to go to Hawaii and negative Nelly pops up. She just walked into the house. I don't know where she came from, Little House on the Prairie, negative Nelly came walking in. I mean, I thought that'd be a miracle because we've got to use, the, we've got to use our flight money that we have within two weeks. Like, that'd be a miracle. So I called the family. I said, hey, and you ever kind of come along, so you're like, hey, do you remember? You offered us a trip to Hawaii, right? And that kind of a fun conversation. It's like, hey, you remember talking last week? It was, hey, you remember? I'm like, you know, you offered. Yes, we did. Could we take you up on that? Anytime. How about within two weeks? That'll be a miracle. Because February is the busiest month on the island. I'm like, she goes, but I'm willing to make a phone call. So she makes a phone call, and the people at the front desk, and they begin to laugh at her. (laughs) Within two weeks, and she goes, well, you look, and they look, and they go, wow, your place is available. She calls me back. She said, it's a miracle. It's available. If you want it, you got it. And in an afternoon, we had a trip booked to Hawaii that God had provided for, and he used different people to provide. How many you love it better when God provides for it more than when you provide for it, Right? Because it's always better when God provides for it. Pastor Brad, we know you went to Hawaii. It's the third week you've brought it up. Why are you trying to just drive it into our backs? Well, first of all, it's good for your character. Okay? Some of you have been a little puffed up. You needed something to knock you down. You need to humble yourself before the Lord so he can lift you up at the right time, and he's using me to do that for you. Okay? Some of you have more timeshares, and I'm feeling like the Lord is calling you. I mean... There's years of service here, folks. You gotta, you gotta give like the children of God that he's called you to be. So I'm just trying to stretch you a little. That's not why. Even though if you do it, I'm fine with that. But that's not really why I'm bringing it up. We were coming back from Hawaii. And you know what the Lord dealt with me about? He said, this was offered to you a long time ago, but you just didn't believe it. You could have had this a long time ago. And he really dealt with me that there are so many promises that he gives all of us. But because we grew up going camping at the Jack's Fork, we can't believe that we really could have a free trip to Hawaii. Or because we grew up without any finances, we don't really believe that he could actually use us to give thousands of dollars to others in need. Or because we had this addiction for so long, we don't think that there's any way that we could bring hope to somebody else. Folks, he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And I also thought it was interesting that it came about three weeks after the fresh word that God was putting a new mantle on Faith Chapel. Just a new mantle on Faith. Do you remember that word? A new mantle on our church. And I want to ask you to partner with me in believing that we're in a new mantle. And this isn't where I take it and say, now we're no longer faith chapel, we're prosperity chapel. That's not where I'm going with this, all right? But it is time to believe him for immeasurably more. I'm tired of half the people that we, be, that we pray for being healed. I want all of them healed. I want all of them healed. I don't want any more poverty in our fellowship. That doesn't mean that we want to keep poor people out. It means that we annihilate poverty 
and the next family comes in and we annihilate poverty because we can believe him for exceedingly abundantly. I want our community to be known as a little piece of heaven on earth, not because O'Fallon's so beautiful, it's all right, but because his presence is so amazing and so well known. I want to believe him for more and I want to challenge you to believe him for more. How many, just a question, how many promises of God have you not received just because you haven't really believed that you could have it? Because he wants you to. Amen. Let's stand together. Good messages are to be given by good people, okay? God's the one that gave us these messages. And I know that I've had you stand up so that I can go into my second sermon. We all know how it works, so let's just let's, let's be honest about it. It's past time in this room for you to start looking at the promises of God and claiming them as your own. It's past time for you to quit believing that that's for somebody else, but it's not for you, because it's for you, because he is for you, and he's not against you. And I had the privilege of being in the ICU again this week, praying over Riley many times. And by the way, we had a season where about every third day, things weren't so good. We're on day five of progressing. We're on day, God's doing a great work in Riley Moore. But I had the privilege of being in there when Rich and Jean Asmus were there for a while. And Rich looks at Riley and he speaks over him and he says, it was just so simple and so faith-filled and profound. Are you ready for this? He looked at him and he said, Riley, your lungs are going to be healed. Your lungs are healed because God healed my lungs and he's no respecter of persons. And I looked up and I thought, you're going to say any more? And he went walking out. I'm like, there goes the sage right there. He made, the statement was dead on. He doesn't love Riley less than he loves Rich. And he healed Rich's lungs, he's going to heal Riley's lungs. He's got it for all of us. The gifts are, of God are for all of us.